Turn to Matthew chapter 25. That is the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25. All right, I think everybody is kind of getting ready for this, but in less than two weeks, what's going to happen? Anybody know? No, the kids are not going back to the kids' church. That's a good guess, though. That's really good. You guys are really smart over here. All right, anybody know what's going to happen about 12 days from now? What? Vacation Bible School, that's coming up. Yeah, all right, good. Uh, very spiritually minded. Well, I was actually thinking the Olympics, okay? All right, that's good, though. I, this is great. I know, it's fellowship. Everybody's vacation Bible school, Sunday school. I mean, everybody's thinking. Excellent. Actually, uh, what's going to take place, there is going to be the London 2012 Olympic Games. The opening ceremony is on, on Friday, July 27th. This is pretty spectacular. Every nation that sends athletes, they have this huge opening ceremony, and they're all kind of paraded through there. People around the world will watch this event. They'll be cheering for whoever's representing their nation. And it's it is I talk about like patriotism and just seeing the kind of the nations on parade. You're going to see it on Friday night. And let me tell you, Olympic fever is going to be running real high. I mean, you're going to be thinking like, oh, this is so cool. You know, I wonder if I could kind of slip in and you start kind of thinking through what sort of things you might really be good at. that You might be able to just kind of slip in on your nation's team. You know, like, well, you know, my basketball skills aren't that bad. You know, I'm doing pretty good out there. And you start thinking, like, how could I possibly get into that opening ceremony? Now, let me just tell you something in case you're wondering. You can't just like decide, like, oh, this is so cool. I have got the coolest running shoes. Uh, I've got my flag. I think I'll just jump in. You can't do it. As much as you like and as excited as you might be or however good of an athlete you think you might be, you know what? You can't just jump in to the opening ceremonies and join the parade. You've got to qualify. You've got to be prepared. You have got to be preparing for an event like this, in some cases, for years to be a part of the opening ceremonies. And so as much as you'd like to be involved in the opening ceremonies, as far as I know, we don't have a single person in our church it's going to be in there, right? I was just a little disappointed, okay? Some of you guys have really let me down, and I was, okay. Well, that, being a part of the opening ceremonies, that's all great. But being a part of Christ's kingdom and his opening ceremonies, unparalleled. There are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. There's going to be a parade of people from every nation, but they're not going to be athletes necessarily, but they're going to be people who are truly prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus came the first time about 2,000 years ago, and you need to know this, he is batting a 1,000. Everything that has been promised in the scriptures has been fulfilled. Christ came the first time, and he says, I will return, and I want you ready. And so I've just got one question for you today. Are you personally ready for Christ's return? That is really the fundamental question. Are you ready? At the, as Jesus draws to the end of his earthly life here, on the foremost of his mind is this reality. Are you going to be ready? And when you come to Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives a parable to help you understand just how important it is that you are ready for his return. Now, before I tell you this parable, it's a parable about a, some bridesmaids and a wedding festival that's going to take place. I need to tell you a little bit about a Jewish wedding. So this will all kind of make sense for you. OK, now this is pretty different on how we do weddings and getting people married in our culture. 
But let me tell you, it had three, three elements. The first one was there was this engagement. Now, get ready for this. If you are not married, how would you like it if your dad picked your spouse? All hands in favor? Hey, my kids, come on. Okay, okay. Oh, there we go. I got a couple. All right, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I was surprised. I thought I had more parents put their hands off. Like, I'm kind of moving to this position. I think there's, this is, makes sense here. Okay, what would happen in a Jewish wedding is that your dad picked your spouse. And your dad would get together with this other dad, and they would talk about how this would be a very good idea that my son would marry your daughter or vice versa. And so the dads would take ownership in this responsibility. You, you may know this person if they lived in your village, but you probably had very little, if any, involvement in it. If you weren't married, your dad took care of that for you. How would you guys like that? Is anybody pretty excited about that? Now, I know that sounds really foreign, but actually in parts of the world, this is practice. Karina and I have some personal friends, Sunan and Binsi. Their parents were from India. They had a prearranged marriage. They met each other. They took a walk around the lake, and that was their introduction. What kind of marriage do they have? Awesome. Based on a completely different criteria than oftentimes we go about marriage day in our society. But then there's the second stage. So there's this engagement. But after that, then the second one, there'd be this what is called a betrothal. And this would be a ceremony in which the, the man and the woman, they would actually pledge themselves together. OK, we would. It's kind of like our engagement, but much, much more serious. Now, what would take place is they would pledge each other. They would be actually considered after the ceremony called betrothal. After the ceremony took place, they would be considered as if they were married, except they didn't live in the same house. They never stayed together. There was no physical contact. They actually what would happen is the the groom, he would actually get busy on getting a house prepared. He'd make sure he was established in some sort of commerce or in farming, and he would get ready to the day that he would actually then have his wife come join him. Now, how serious was this? If, for instance, if like the woman died during betrothal, like there was some sort of accident and this young lady was killed, then you would be considered like a widower. Or so if the man died, the woman would be considered a widow. This was serious, very serious. In fact, the only way it could ever be broken, like as if there was like adultery that took place, And like there would be some sort of formal divorce. I mean, this was super serious, far more serious than engagement. And then the third aspect. So you got this, you got engagement. Dad says, you know, I really think you ought to marry. So you want to, the moral of the story is you want to be really nice to your dad. Okay. In case he's involved in picking your spouse. Then you'd have this betrothal. And then the third is then you would have this huge wedding feast. And what would happen here is the, you would kind of, the, the girl would know about when this is going to take place. There would be notices saying, and they would, she'd be getting ready for this. This betrothal period could last about a year, but she'd start getting these messages like it's going to be happening soon, very soon, and then like this day. Now, the groom would take his time, and what would happen is the groom's parents were getting ready for a huge party. This party would last not like a couple hours. You know how we have the wedding receptions to last a couple hours and they, they break us, right? You any of you parents been through this experience, right? You have this huge loan, you're paying for all this food, you know, and all this. Well, their wedding feasts last up to seven days. How would you like to foot the bill for that? You know what I'm saying? You got your relatives that think like this is an eating contest. They kind of move in. They're just chowing down. You're like, whoa, man, just auctioning off the next cow. I mean, you're just like, whoa, you're and that they would last for seven days. There's this huge preparation that go. And then 
when they, everything was finally ready, ready, and then they have this like dowry where the groom's parents would pay some money and give gifts to the, the bride's parents. When everything was all settled, then the groom and his friends and this wedding party would make their way to the bride's house where she had been getting ready for like almost a year. I mean, she's going to be looking good, right? Okay, but especially that day. All right, she's never looked so fine. She's been working on how perfect she can look. And she's got all her friends with her, and they'd be waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, you know, we talk about the girls getting ready and how long it takes, but, you know, these guys, you know, and they got the $85 tux, you know, and they're trying to get everything all snapped together and how to, how to figure out how this works, and you got to get your hair just right, and probably haven't shaved or taken a shower in a week. you got to get ready. It takes time. Oftentimes, the groom and his guys and the wedding party, they didn't show up at the bride's house until around midnight when it'd be totally dark. And this is all part of the fun because, you see, they would have these torches and they, these torches would shoot off all this light and, it would, and they'd have this wedding procession. The, the bride and her bridesmaids would actually dance. They'd have their, their torches. They'd make their way all the way back to the groom's parents. If this is a smaller community, perhaps the entire community was involved. This was a huge deal. Singing, celebration, dancing. It was festive, and then they'd make their way to the groom's house. They had the wedding canopy, and then begin the seven days worth of celebration. It was a huge party. That's all the background that you need to know. So when Jesus starts telling this story to find out, are you ready? You're going to be able to understand and track what he's going to say. Verse chapter 25, verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to. Ten virgins, or these are bridesmaids, these are the girls that are hanging out with the bride, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, Jesus says, five of them were foolish. Okay? So this bride, she has five bridesmaids that are foolish. Okay? You ever heard of, the Greek word is moros. You ever heard of moron? Okay? Foolish? That's actually where we get it from. These girls were moronic. Okay, they were morons. Jesus is using the word right there. They're foolish. They're not sensible. They never think. They're not applying their brain. They're just kind of cruising through life. Like, what? what's next? Where's the next sale? You know, they're just kind of floating around. And then you got five who were prudent, wise, smart, think ahead, plan, prepare. Well, verse three, for when the foolish took their lamps, this is why they're foolish. They took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Let me just tell you what's going on here. They, the lamps, these weren't these little clay lamps, the small little ones. No, no, no. These were these torches. They had this like dome on the top. And you have like rags that were soaked probably in olive oil. That was their most common oil that they used. And you would light this. And this had a huge flame. So obviously you didn't use this inside your house. You probably burned the thing down. You never wanted to keep too close to your hair. You know, especially if you've been working all day. It's all poofed out, right? Because you catch that on fire, you hold the torch out like this, right? And what would happen, though, is you, about 15 minutes later, you'd burn through all your oil. And so what you have to do is you have this, like, little container. And you'd fill it back up with oil. And you'd light your torch again. And, whoa, you're good to go for another 15 minutes, okay? And that was what happened. You see... Five of these girls were really smart. They brought the torch, they got their lamp, and they brought plenty of oil. I mean, that's after all, that's the responsible thing to do, right? If you're going to be a part of the wedding party, you're going to be involved in the dancing with the torches, you've got to have oil in your lamp, right? But the five of them were foolish. They showed up with the lantern, but no oil in it. Now, you see, by, by... being prepared, having the oil, having a lamp, you know what that's showing? That's showing your respect 
and your love for the bride and the bridegroom. By showing up unprepared shows that, frankly, you could care less. You weren't you weren't really prepared. You really didn't love them as much as you said you were. And you certainly certainly weren't respectful. So now what's going to happen here? You got this all the situation laid out here. Well, it's taking forever for the groom to get there. You know, I don't know if he's had a bad hair day, got himself shaving. You know, I don't need first aid, had to go to the ER. Something happened. But look, verse five. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, okay, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. Okay, you know how it is. You're waiting and waiting and waiting. You've been ready and ready, ready. Finally, what do you do? You just pass out. And okay, and so these girls, well, they didn't snore because wait, women don't snore, right? 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 No. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, all right. So they're they're all passed out. They're tired. This this, what's going on with the groom, man? He's taking forever to get here, and so they all fall asleep. That's natural. You get tired. You just keep waiting and waiting. These guys are ridiculous. They fall asleep. They began to sleep. But then verse six. But at midnight, there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Whoa. All of a sudden he's here. And there's a shout. Okay, so these girls are just slumbering away. They're sleeping. They got their sweet little smiles on. They're not snoring. Right. And all of a sudden, what? what, what? It's the party started. Yes. The bridegroom's coming, and he's going to come with all of his entourage of guys, okay? They got their torches. They're ready. They're going to pick up the bride and all her bridesmaids. So these girls, what do they do? Quick, look, make sure everything's all ready. And they get out their lamps, and look at this. Verse 7. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, okay? They literally got their lamps ready, okay? They trimmed them. They had it filled with oil. They got the wick in there, and they got that thing lit, but verse 8, the foolish said to the prudent, uh-oh, hey, wait a second, oh, oh man, this isn't working. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Oh, imagine that. You know, we brought the lamps, but uh, I knew I forgot something. I had the right shoes, got the makeup, got the hair, oh, the oil for the lamp. I forgot it. And they said, you know, help us out here. Just give us some of your oil. But verse 9, the prudent answered, you know, no, you can't do that. For there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And what they're saying is like, hey, if we give you some of our oil, then it won't work. Now, it's kind of like this. Anybody know what this is? All right, kids, what is this? You guys are so smart. Wow. That's right. You got a lantern here, right? And. What does this particular lantern need in order to work? Anybody have any good ideas? What? Fire? Yes. Uh huh. And what else? Yeah, you got to have fuel, right? You have to have fuel in your lantern. Because if you don't have fuel in this lantern, guess what? It doesn't work. And so these foolish bridesmaids, they got their like, Oh, the, the groom's here? Finally. Oh, here's my lantern. And it's, oh, what? Well, it doesn't work. We don't have fuel. And they're saying, hey, we need some of your fuel. But the wise ones that actually had fuel and they're saying, hey, listen, if we could use half of ours, guess what? No one's lanterns are going to work very long. We're going to run out before we even get to the groom's house. 
or his parents' place, and we're not going to have enough for the party or for the dancing. I'm sorry, you're going to need to go, and you're going to have to purchase some from a dealer. And they certainly could do that. If this was a small community, the whole town would be up. You could go find a dealer, wake him up, and say, oh, guess what? We're not as smart as we thought we were. We didn't bring any fuel. Do you think we could buy some? And they could go to Walmart or wherever they needed to go and get it, right? But it's kind of like this. It's kind of like you need to have fuel, right? You need to have fuel for your lantern. This is what they needed and they didn't come with. Or it's kind of like this. These are like modern day lamps, torches, right? And it's like the foolish ones and the wise ones, they both showed up with their lanterns. And when they heard the bridegroom is coming, oh, the wise ones go, up. Oh, my flashlight. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start dancing, okay? Look at that. All right. See that? Look at that. Some of your eyes glow. That was really interesting. Okay. We, I'm not sure why that is. Okay. All right. And the, the wise ones, their, their lanterns worked. But the foolish ones are like... Ah. You, oh, you know, do you need batteries for these things? I'm like, what? You didn't bring batteries? Uh, do we need them? Of course. Well, can you let us borrow some of your batteries and put it in here? And then we'll both. Will that work? Of course it won't. And so what do you say? You know what, friend? You need to go to the store and buy some batteries. You should have thought of that ahead of time. In fact, they were sleeping. They had plenty of time. They could have gone and got batteries. In fact, the people that were prepared, they could actually sleep. These people didn't. They showed up. Flashlight didn't work. You know why? They didn't have batteries. So what's going to happen here? Watch this. So then they, the prudent said, you know what? We can't do it. Verse 9. No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. I'm like, oh, okay. I get it. If you share your flashlight batteries, then nothing will work. Okay, we're going to go. All right. And so here's, this is like terrible timing. This is not when you're going to go shopping. And so they're off running to the store, you know what I'm saying, trying to get the right size, you know, making this deal with the dealer. And look what happens here. Verse 10. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. And so this is what happened. The, the wise ones were ready, like, hey, we're ready to go. And they got their flashlight and they're they're super excited. And they go with the groom and all the wedding party. And there's this dancing. They make their way all the way to the groom's or the groom's parents house. And notice what happens. Verse 10. Once they get into the wedding feast, the door was shut, closed off. You can't get in anymore. And let me just tell you about celebrations and in Jewish, uh, Jewish time, especially among the wealthy. Once that door was closed, they actually posted someone at, in front of that door. The only way you could ever get in is if you had either on some sort of tablet or received some sort of notice that you were an official guest. And once the door is closed, you couldn't get in. They had a guy, that guy or several guys. It didn't matter how much you pleaded or said, oh, but you know what? I really know the people inside or we're really good friends or I'm a relative, blah, 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 blah. They go, I'm sorry. You don't have the notice. You don't have it on the tablet. 
You weren't part of the festivities. You weren't part of the, the train of people on the wedding party. The door shut. You can't come in. Well, these, these girls, look at this. Verse 11. Later, the other virgins, these are the foolish bridesmaids, they came saying, Oh, Lord, Lord, open up for us. You just hear the passion in their voice. Oh, Lord, Lord, please open up for us. We're, we're just a little bit late. We had a few things that we needed to pick up. because, you know, And look, they're pleading, please open up for us. But look at verse 12. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. That's, this is actually the crux of Jesus' parable. He says, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. And that makes all the difference. You see, if you have a relationship with God, with the bridegroom, with the Lord himself, you are, in essence, going to be prepared and you will be ready. In fact, your actions will be like the equivalent of those who are wise. You will be prepared because you are in relationship, because you do know, you do care, you do love, you have respect. And the foolish ones, well, they certainly like being around and they like being around those who are prepared. But the reality was, as Jesus says in the parable, I don't know you. And friends, that's really what it comes down to. If you are not prepared, you cannot participate in the kingdom of God. It is that simple. Think of it this way. Let's say we're going to take our mission trip to India and Mike and I say, guess what? We're leaving this afternoon. Are you ready? You can't just hop on a plane if you don't have a ticket. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to go if you haven't packed. You also need something called a passport or you're not going to get too far. You've got to prepare and be ready. Else, guess what? You're not going with Mike and I to India. I'm sorry. As fun as it would be and all those little things that we get to do on the airplane, guess what? You can't go because you're not prepared. You've got to be ready. Well, Jesus says this is the whole point. Verse 13. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. You've got to be ready. I want you, he says, to be on the alert, literally to watch out. The, it comes from the Greek word Gregorio. If your name is Greg, your name means the one who is watching or watchful. You're alert. And this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to be watching and alert, for you do not know the day nor the hour in which I'm going to come back. Now, being on alert doesn't mean like, well, you got to just be posted up on some sort of mountaintop and just be standing there waiting. Obviously, you go on with everyday life, but there is an approach and attitude and a preparation that's taken place in your life that you are ready for the return of Christ. And that is the whole point of this parable. Are you ready for his return? Let me just make something really clear. Just because you were aware that Jesus Christ is coming back. And the fact that you are around people who are prepared does not make you prepared. There is going to be, a, it is going to be such an awakening for people. 
Because when Christ comes back, he is going to take his own and the door is going to be shut. But there's going to be a lot of people like, hey, wait, I, I, I'm excited. I want I want to be a part of this. I went to church. I had Christian friends. I knew some of the lingo. I knew some of the verses. But if you do not have a right relationship with God and he does not know you, you're out. And this is what's going to be super startling. There's a lot of people that call themselves or consider themselves, quote unquote, Christians. They're not they make it up what they think that means. They define it on their own terms. But you can't have relationship with God on your terms the way you want it on how on how you think it would be best. It is always on God's terms and is always through Christ and Christ alone. And if you do not have a right relationship with Christ, that is the tragedy of the unprepared life. It is like showing up to a camping trip with no fuel for your lantern or no batteries in your flashlight. I'm sorry you were not prepared. You see, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are ready for Christ's return. Now, how can you be certain that you are ready for Christ's return? I, this is something that I want to make sure every single one of you understands and is applying. How can you be certain and know that you're ready for Christ's return? Well, first of all, you've got to be personally prepared. Just because you show up at a church and you got a Bible and you know a few Bible verses, that, that's actually not relevant. What is relevant is that you have relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not putting your faith in a, in a baptism or in some sort of confirmation or something that someone did to you or that your parents were Christian, but that you personally know, trust, and put your faith in Christ. That means that you believe that he's Lord. That means that you truly believe that when he died and paid the penalty for sin, that he actually paid the penalty for your sin personally. You see yourself as one who's offended God's holiness. You're out and being self-centered with your life. You understand that you were created and designed for God. And any time we're living apart from that, we're focused on ourselves and what we want. That's all sin. When we do the things that are vicious and vulgar, when things come out of our mouth that should have not been said, thoughts that are running through that should not be there, and we see that, these are all indicators that we're sinners by nature. We need salvation. And Christ alone is the Savior. And you believe that he rose again on the third day, and on that basis he has the ability to give you spiritual life. When you believe and trust in Christ, you are personally prepared for his coming. Now, you know the Olympics, you know how you get into the Olympics, don't you? You qualify. You've got to be fast enough, strong enough. But do you know what? You can't actually qualify to be in the kingdom of heaven. Did you know that? You can't. You could never be good enough because you know how good you have to be. You have to be absolutely perfect. You see, God is holy. He's without sin. And that means that his people, whoever's in his kingdom, have to be without sin. Anybody call? I want to anybody without sin here. I'd love to meet you. Please. No one. Oh, what kind of, really? We're a bunch of sinners here. Oh, and worse yet, we're really bad, right? We're vile. We've done some pretty atrocious things. We're not going public. With our most heinous sins, are we? But God knows them. And so he sent Christ to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sin so that we'll know forgiveness and his life and experience the joy of relationship with him. I'll tell you what. You can't qualify for heaven 
apart from putting your full trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You have to be personally prepared. And let me just tell you, when you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, it says like in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, that he actually takes your hearts and he sprinkles them clean from an evil conscience and your bodies are washed with pure water. He makes you absolutely new. You are completely forgiven and you are then prepared for his return. Who wouldn't want to have forgiveness and life? It's all found in trusting Jesus Christ. Are you ready for Christ's return? You got to be personally prepared. Let me tell you something else. You want to stay focused on Christ. Like it says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, you want to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And how do you do that? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. I, I can't see him. How do you do that? You do that by establishing patterns in your life where you're regularly focusing and going to him. Like just taking time to enjoy God, to pray, to read his word, to gather with others who worship, to have friendships with other people that actually encourage you in your faith. All of this allows us to fix our attention upon Jesus and to grow in the grace of Christ. But, you know, on this whole idea of fixing your focus upon Jesus, I find that there's some things that make that difficult for me. Let me just throw some things out, like distractions, discouragement, things like trials, illnesses, significant decisions, perhaps even depression, demands of work. We go through these trials and these difficulties, but they can become all-consuming where we just simply focus on those. And what we need is to, again, lift our eyes upon Jesus and focus upon him, his life, his death, his resurrection, the gospel. And we experience renewal, a revitalization, and we focus upon Jesus Christ. This is, the cap- this is what it looks like to be ready for his return. Not only you believe in the gospel and believe in Christ, but you are also one who finds that you're regularly... Looking to Jesus. And let me just give you the third kind of aspect of someone who's prepared for Christ's return. You're actually anticipating it. You are looking forward to it. You're not just aware like, oh, yeah, Christians all believe that Jesus is coming back. Yep. That kind of the been there, done that attitude has no bearing. Actually, a major emphasis of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ is returning and he wants his people ready. Hence, that is why Jesus is giving this parable. Like it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, for yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. You see, those who are ready for Christ's return are those who are trusting in him. They're looking to him. They're anticipating him coming back. But let me be completely clear. There are people that are going to say, Lord, Lord, let me in. And they're not going to ever make entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He's finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. He said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What? I thought all you had to do is just say, Jesus is Lord. And you're in, right? Not according to Jesus. He says, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy on your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Man, did we do some really cool stuff in your name, Jesus? 
Look at all these works, things that we did. Cool, huh? And Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 23, and then I'll declare to them, you know what? I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness or rebellion. You didn't come my way. You didn't trust me. You didn't build your life upon me. I didn't know you. And that is the essential matter. Do you know Christ? Because if you do, you're ready for his return. Now, let me tell you, why is Jesus telling this parable? Because he wants his people ready. And second of all, he's telling you, you know what? There's going to be a pretty long distance between my first coming and my second. In fact, there's people that go, come on, you Christians talking about Jesus coming back. Right. Where's he been? It's been 2000 years. I thought he's coming back in like a couple year, a couple decades or something, huh? You keep saying that he's coming back, but he never shows up. I don't think so. Well, Jesus wants you to understand. Listen, there's a reason why there's the delay. I'll tell you two reasons why. One, God is allowing evil to have its full manifest. And one day, like it talks about in Revelation chapter 14, there's going to be a harvest and it's going to be over and he is going to judge every sin. But second of all, God is very much in the process of redeeming every single person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. In fact, like it talks about in the book of Romans in chapter 11, this is the time where the fullness of the Gentiles are coming in. Non-Jewish people are coming into his kingdom by the droves. They're believing the gospel. Very few people in our church are of Jewish descent. Most of us are Gentiles. You see, God is bringing people into his kingdom. And one day when every last one whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life has been redeemed, then he's going to return. But let me just give you what Peter said at the end of his life. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day with God. One day is like a thousand years. And so he says this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, God is giving you and our world, every person, an opportunity to come in. And now is the time because soon the bridegroom will come. And when he comes, then it'll be too late. You see, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are ready for Christ's return. Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the Persian Gulf War. Remember back in 1990, all the way through like February 1991. He threw, he flew 300 missions. After his 300th mission, the Air Force sent him, since the war was over, sent him and his crew home. He totally caught him off guard. He finished his 300 and said, sir, you've done it. You and your crew, you're going home. You have done your duty and you're fulfilled your job here. Go home. So they flew all night, landed in Massachusetts. And then they once they landed in Massachusetts and got their bearings, they, him and his crew, they started making their way to western Pennsylvania. They, they drove all night. He shows up there pretty early in the morning. He gets dropped off by his buddies at his house. And on, in front of the house, there's this big banner that says, Welcome home, Dad. How do they know? I, was, I, I didn't tell them. I want to surprise them. So he walks in the door. And here are the kids. They're half dressed. They're getting ready for school. And all of a sudden, one of the girls just screams, Daddy's home. And all of a sudden, his wife comes down the hall. 
And she's all dressed up. She's got a yellow dress on. She's got her makeup on. Her hair's looking nice. She walks down and he's like, hey, how did, how did you know? I didn't tell you. And she said this. Once we knew the war was over, we, we knew you'd be home one of these days. And we knew you'd try to surprise us. So we were ready every day. And friends, Jesus says, I'm coming back. I want you ready every day. Are you? Let's pray. Lord, let me just come before you. What an amazing story. And I pray, Father, that every single one of us would place our trust and be believing upon Jesus as our payment for sin and our hope in this life and the life to come. And Father, if there is someone here who has come today who has never truly put their trust in Christ, but they sure like to be around church folks or, or come to church, but they've never truly put their faith in him, would they, they just pray with me and say, Lord, you know all about me, you know about my sin, you know about my life and my hypocrisy. And Father, I finally get it. And I just turn from my sin and I trust Jesus and him alone for my salvation. Father, we love you and we love the Son and we are filled with your Spirit. Father, enable us to always live life prepared for the coming of him who is our life. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.